Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to the Inferno. I'm Dana Scott, co-hosting with Patrick Matilla and the legendary Cedric Sabalas. How you doing, Ced? I'm good, man. I'm good. Let's get in this. All right, cool. So this is our first episode we're having with Ced, and this is episode 17. Uh, we're going to go over some things, including last night's Suns game. Uh, it's Monday night, the Suns lost to the Miami Heat at the buzzer to end their four-game road trip, 112. I'm sorry, 113 to 112. Devin Booker got a shot blocked by Jimmy Butler and had a three-pointer that was off the mark. A lot of things could happen. Don, uh, Monty Williams said that he should have called timeout, maybe for an ATO play. Um, that didn't happen, but Suns were one and three in that road trip. The biggest glaring disparity of that whole uh, game was the free throws that the Suns only took four. They made two. And the Heat took 22, they made 22 and, and had 25. And the Suns have averaged uh, nine point, um, sorry, nine free throw deficit to in their five losses. They're now eight and five and fifth in the West. And they are 29 in free throw attempts uh, per game in the NBA. So that's basically second to last for a top team and that's been going on for a while said have you ever been in a game where you've only had your team attempt four three throws i don't know if it's been four but it's been uh, uh plenty of games where you don't get a lot of free throw attempts and uh you know this is something that the Suns and coach uh williams pointed out last night but you know, like you said they're 29th they're not a team that gets to the free throw line a lot uh during the game so uh they're a jump shooting team uh, and and most of the time, you, you know, uh, they don't get that. But uh, the, one of the philosophies of the Miami Heat, even back to the Pat Riley days when I played there, uh, is to not put people on the line uh, unless they're they're wide open uh, for layups. So that that's one of the defensive promises of the Miami Heat: try not to put you on the line uh, to give you free access to free shots. Now, what did you see last night, Mister Orange, Mister Patrick Matillo? Yeah, to me, you know, getting to the line or not, obviously that, that's been something that has been an opportunity for us. And I know, um, you know, Dwayne Rankin put out a piece about DeAndre Ayton not getting to the line. And you already know my passion behind why he doesn't get to the line. So I don't think there's a confusion or missed calls. Um, he needs to be more aggressive. Um, but for me, that game in particular, it comes down to the stretch. So the Miami Heat locked down on defense. They went on a run themselves. And then even that last play with Booker, uh, you know, he had the double coming off of Bridges. So he had a, a kick out. He could have had Bridges could have take the shot, drove inside. Uh, but more so uh, when Cam Payne, you know, stepped up even higher to the three-point line, his defender, who he is way faster than, uh, then denied that pass, but did so by looking at Booker. And so to me, Cam Payne easily could have cut to the basket. That lane was wide open uh, to give Devin some options there. So when it comes down to it, and obviously, you know, buckets were exchanged late, but 
but giving up that lead and then, uh, you know, not getting a great look, you know, give it up to Miami the way they, they locked down and defended on that last possession. I think we had some opportunities there uh, for a better look, um, but you, you it, it stings to lose a game on the road to end a road trip that way. And we had plenty of opportunities outside of not getting to the line. Yeah, two things, though, two things I can add to that is, uh, like you said, the, the road, not only the road, but you're playing a Miami Heat team that, you know, when in the bubble, they went to the finals, uh, conference finals, a big playoff team. They've been a, a unit together. And then they out, add an um, a NBA champion in Lowry at the point guard position. And we, as, as I say, Phoenix Suns, don't have RCP3, uh, who usually finishes off tight, close games. That's one of the things he's uh, definitely going to walk into the Hall of Fame with is because he can finish and help his team finish late, late game situations. Yeah, do you think that with Monty being that he's asked these questions about the free throws, he has to walk a tight rope speaking about it because he always says it, it, it's a means to get fined and talking about it. Years ago in the 90s said coaches could talk about this stuff without getting fined. Do you feel like this is something where the Suns basically had their hands tied behind their back and speaking on this issue? Because I went through this with the Pelican series in the playoffs last year. Yeah, it's a, it's a different, uh, you know, obviously – uh, ball game when you come to uh, getting on the officials from from when I played. But now uh, it, it goes back to the officials, you know, when they hear the complaints and the league hear the complaints and then they go back to the statistics and going, wait a minute, this team is, you know, on the lower epsilon of getting to the free throw line. So it's, it, it'll be a little different if they were one, two, three slots and then all of a sudden the game, they go about and only get four free throws. Then it's got to be some sort of discrepancy there. Uh, but, but when you constantly are not a team who uh, uh, gets to the free throw line. They go, you know, this is this is an adjustment that you have to make uh, on your part, on your team's aggressiveness, not a situation where we got to look for more fouls or getting you to the line. And then again, like I told you before, when it comes to Miami, they, you know, they, they don't shoot, they don't foul you when you're shooting unless you're a wide open layup and they're trying to save two points. Other than that, they, they teach defense. So when they foul you, they make sure the ball is on the ground. Sure. And just to point out, nine, uh, nine free throws in favor of the opponent versus the Suns doesn't seem like a lot, but it makes a difference when it comes to a one-point loss and a two-point loss to the Portland Trailblazers in that second game of the year. And they lost to the Magic, who have length, and they basically are, they have talent, but the, in the past two straight losses for the Suns, they are 10 of 13 versus their opponents, 35 of 40 from the free throw line. Now that's a big gap. And they also, you know, we look at Cam and uh, you don't have, um, you know, guys that really go to the basket to look for the content. Cam is a guy who really avoids it uh, with his sneaky shots. And he goes to the hole a lot, but uh, the way he shoots his shot, he doesn't look to get contact. He looks to try to avoid it. So um, majority of the opportunity, and even Chris Paul, when he's in there, uh, you know, he, you know, his crossover moves, his stops, his hezzies, all those get him free looks at the baskets uh, where most of the time they don't get their hands on the guys. True. And let's segue to Cam Johnson, this loss of him. Luckily it's only one or two months of what they're projecting with his meniscus tear. Uh, you've dealt with injuries in your career said, well, what do you do when you come back from a meniscus tear or, or no guys who have come back from that? Are they the same or how can they contribute 
after coming back from some type of injury that gravity, uh, gravity. Man, it's so tough. It's so many factors that come into this, Dana. You have to understand that uh, the mental part is probably the biggest thing. Obviously, you know, Phoenix Suns are known for, uh, you know, taking care of their guys health-wise. And when it comes to injuries, a lot of players uh, that are diminishing as far as injury-wise, they, they try to come to Phoenix because they know their medical staff and also the, the training staff will get them right. Uh, Cam's young, you know, uh, it, you know, not a contract situation. So I don't think his mentality <laughs> is going to be there. Uh, but I think the thing, the thing he has to, uh, really concern himself is he's an airborne guy. He gets up a lot and, and coming down is, is probably the problem. So you might see him, uh, after his big dunks, hanging on the rim, just a little bit more, being more cautious to where he's coming down. But uh, I think mentally he'll be able to come back. The most important thing is the, uh, being away from the game, the timing, uh, the bumps, bruises, the the minutes that he's used to or not used to, depending on the rotation on how he comes back. Uh, Corey's putting in work, but it's just you know it's still not the same as as Coach Monty will probably want to have his uh, healthy rotation and his starting five in the game. True, and when you mean Corey as in Schlesinger, yes, right, that's their team trainer, Patrick. What do you think about? the situation with Jay Crowder now that he's on the training block and has been on the training block since training camp and having Tory Craig step up and Bridges step up, but needing a guy to replace uh, Cam Johnson, their starter. Yeah. You know, for me, I think it puts James Jones in a, a good situation. The, the more he waits. And I say that because other teams are going to need to make moves as it gets closer to the trade deadline and whether that's for, hey, we need picks in the future or, you know, we need this type of a leader now. And that gives uh, us time to see, us as in the Suns, what exactly is that piece that we need? Uh, if, if we had made a, a move earlier, James Jones, and then, you know, there's more injuries or we see a, a glaring opportunity that is not, you know, who we went and picked up, I think this just allows James Jones to really see. And again, the blessing for Cam's injury in disguise is getting other guys reps and seeing how deep we really are, who can we leverage in what situation in a different way. So I think, yeah, it, it, people are like, well, that's another roster spot. We're just paying the guy not to be here, et cetera. But from a chemistry perspective, it's he's not going to be adding and creating the culture that we want if we were playing him. And so I think this just allows that opportunity to really find that right piece as we head into the second half of the season eventually, and then obviously the playoffs, which is what matters. And so um, I think we're going to be just fine you know, we're going to win the games we need to win. Uh, we're going to be in a good position to make the playoffs, getting Cam back and healthy, and then really making the right move with Jay Crowder, I think could prove, you know, to be the difference in uh, how far we can go in the playoffs. Right. They need that physical guy to basically compensate for what Jay Crowder brought. They don't have that. They didn't have that physicality at the start of the season, but they found ways to make up for it. And with these next two games that they have on Wednesday when they return home against the Warriors, luckily the Warriors' defense is terrible and they can't figure that out, and they're going to figure it out, but they just haven't yet. And the Utah Jazz are surprisingly as good as they are, uh, you know, at the top of the West or near the top of the West. So it's like if the Suns fall to 8-7 and seven by the end of this week before they return home uh, again against the Knicks on Sunday, is there something to panic about? Wow, that, that's huge, especially just early in the season. But I, 
you know, have they defined exactly what Crowder's situation is and what he wants to do? Or, you know, obviously that's the, that's the tough part uh, about guys that are like us on the outside looking in. We really right. don't, we really can't pick those, you know, brains of the coaches and also that that player that's either wants to be or don't, don't want to be there. Uh, but I think that, you know, Jay was a, a, a stigmat and a, a statement on defense. Right. And um, more importantly, he was a mouthpiece. Uh, Cam, I love him. Kale, I love him. But but when it comes to, you know, directing traffic on defense, that was the biggest thing that he brought to the table, along with the physicality and also the ability to 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 put that challenge on, which uh, I just noticed, you know, it's a totally different game, but it goes back to last night's game uh, when Luka Doncic was being guarded by Kevin Durant in Dallas. I thought that was great you know, two superstars going at each other. And 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 Luca was having problems with Kevin's length. Same thing last night when you have Devin Booker, uh, perimeter all-star, being guarded by another all-star and, and taking on that challenge. Jay was a guy who did that, who wanted to try to stop their best player. Uh, you know, obviously, Mikel and, and Cam being out now, those are the, the two guys who would look to do that. But uh, as far as Golden State's defense, uh, I, I think their problems <laughs> – uh, that they have internally is really affecting them well. Uh, yeah. Camaraderie, you can tell that it's just not the same. And whether or not they uh, do something with that and make some moves before the trade deadline, I really don't know. I'm not in that, that organization. But the opportunity uh, doesn't get any easier, for one. Uh, Jazz and also the Warriors move the ball extremely well. And who knows which one of those guys. Obviously, Curry, uh, you, you'll get 20, 30 out of him. But everybody will be able to, touch the ball and get a chance to shoot it. So this may be a great opportunity for the Suns to work on that defensive uh, paralysis, rotating and talking and, and and being a little bit more tougher because Utah and also the Warriors, uh, besides Draymond, are, are not really a physical team that you really have to pound on. Uh, so it should be a, a good opportunity, no Gobert in uh, Utah for uh, DeAndre to really take over and be a force uh, when it comes to offensively and defensively rebounding and as well as putbacks. Sure. Putbacks. Where do you see this at, uh, Patrick? I think, uh, you know, hey, these games are going to be tough. Um, I, I don't think a panic is in order at all. I think, again, Monty Williams spoke about the different number of lineups that we've had to have, rotations, injuries, you know, CP3, is he going to be back tomorrow? Um, you know, all of that's going to factor in, but, but Either way, I don't think anyone would be happy, uh, you know, coming out of uh, at a 500 record after these next couple. But one, I don't think that's going to happen. And two, uh, you know, for Golden State, they're a great team. You have to be ready every day. They had a really uh, strong performance last night against San Antonio. But uh, we're at home. Uh, we play well typically against the stronger teams. And so um, and we're not a team that loses often. I think it was 36 and nine or something in the second game following like the game coming off of a loss and then losing last night the way we did uh, at the end I really think you know the team's going to come out with a different level of focus tomorrow and edge and so uh, I don't anticipate that that being the case and again if even if it did I don't think it warrants uh, any panic right but it also gives time for them to uh, practice when they come back uh, uh, this week they they have to get some practice in order because when they return today um, Tuesday They'll have a shoot around before the Warriors game. So they haven't really had much time to figure things out on the road. But when they 
go well they have a, a, their next game against uh utah on friday they will have probably practice the next day on thursday to figure things out and then they have sunday when they return so they will have a practice on saturday because they're not going that far from utah back to phoenix and then they'll have a shoot around the next day so said do you believe that those days in between figuring things out coming off the road will factor into how to stay away from falling towards possibly a 500 record. Yeah, crucial. And I'm not sure if they traveled after the game uh, in Miami or, or traveled today. Uh, but having this day of being shorthanded, is going to be great for those guys to, to recover uh, of their bodies, but then getting a the full practice in. You know, people understand shoot arounds are great when you come to instructional things, but, you know, actually sweating and, 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 and rubbing elbows, bumping into each other and really getting through some, some things really helps. Uh, and, and then you have guys who, you know, are not getting that many minutes uh, to give an opportunity to get their legs warm just in case uh, they may be needed besides another injury or foul trouble. So uh, it, I think it will be key having that practice on Thursday, having a practice on Saturday uh, before they head back to Utah. Yeah, because shoot arounds, a lot of people, this misconception that guys just, you know, dick around and not just throw the ball up and, you know, maybe they just kind of get, do things that are to get themselves in rhythm and not get the team in rhythm. It's not a individual thing. It's actually a team thing. Uh, and that's why they do this. Um, and speaking of which, the last segue I want to get to is about your time with the Lakers. I see the Sabalas jersey up there. You know, from your time in the mid-90s when you were an all-star in 1995, uh, I believe it was in Phoenix when you were uh, an all-star. Am yeah. I correct or mistaken? Yes. yes. Okay. So that was the time when you had first left the Lakers. I mean, you first left the Suns uh, in 1994 uh, and became a Laker. Um, and then a year later, you were uh, an all-star and you had, you know, a, a, a trending – a popular rap song produced by Warren G. Flow <laughs> on, and I remember coming home from school, watching that on Rap City. <laughs> really oh. excited to see it, um, you know. And also knowing you from when you did the blindfold dunk in '92 to win the dunk contest. Uh, so, what was it like getting that word, getting traded from Phoenix to LA? Because a lot of guys they get traded to markets they don't want to go to. Yeah, what was that like for you? It was it was tough uh, on, on a couple of reasons because I I I made a home here in Phoenix. I had a great uh, four year run. We went to the finals, losing against Michael. Uh, I, I really thought we had a chance, and I was blossoming uh, to be one of the you know top guys uh, on 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 the Phoenix Suns team at the time. Um, I was funny. It was funny because I was at home in L.A. when I got the word that I was traded. Uh, so it. You know, it's it's confusing. I had never gotten traded before. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad it happened in the offseason, one. Uh, two, I was glad that I was being traded, you know, back where I grew up and was born and raised. Uh, and, and then three, where I was familiar with guys. You know, I, I, you know, I, were, I just got through working out with Nick and Eldon Campbell and, you know, all the guys. And uh, so it was kind of cool Uh the next day after the press conference showing up and, you know, with my new Laker gear on uh, and, and being able to start this camaraderie with the, my, my new teammates, uh, you know, great, great time in Phoenix. And, you know, you never want to be, you know, I, I don't think in my situation, I never wanted to be traded, never at all. But, you know, having that 
to go back and then becoming an all-star, which is unbelievable. Really shocking because I didn't know how – I hadn't played – I played at a high level before. I had two pretty good years, averaging 17, 18, 19. Uh, but, I, but, you know, coming into the team being, you know, I'm, the burden of the shoulders, like, you know, we need you to have 25 a game for us to be effective. Uh, I, I really didn't know how that worked. So, you know, walking into practice, uh, not knowing that shoot around that day, not knowing um, how the selection is going and what they do or what they contact you. And then, um, you know, I, I knew something was going on because Jerry West was at shoot around and he's always standing up at the top, you know, just watching. He was yeah. down on the floor uh, along with Mitch Kupchak. And um, I think Magic showed up that day too. So I was really like, what? Like what's going on, was, you know? And then uh, um, we huddled up before shoot around. And they made the announcement, so it was kind of shocking. But uh, it was cool. It's unfortunate I didn't get to play because of Matumbo, uh, and and it would have been great to come back to Phoenix for the All Star Game and play in the All Star Game that uh, in the town where where I played for so many years. But uh, it's you know just a delight. You know, playing in your hometown is pretty cool. Uh, you know, you lose a lot of money work buying tickets, but other than that, <laughs> yeah, right. But at the same time, is that the biggest takeaway is that you found out that you got traded while you were at home yeah. in your hometown, and that was a shock, and it, rather than a almost like a relief. It's almost like when you wonder about guys like when Stefan Marbury got traded from the Suns to the Knicks. You know, he was happy at first. Obviously, that turned out to be a disaster and a nightmare for him. You know, and he said he would never play for the Knicks again with a gun to his head. Uh, but it's almost like you wonder about some guys who have families and, you know, they have opportunities. Like Jay Crowder had an opportunity at the Gila River Arena with the sponsorship and stuff, and now he, he wants out, uh, obviously, because it seems like credit to Eddie Johnson saying this in NBA um, Sirius XM, the NBA channel last week, that he didn't get his money. He didn't want to wait because Devin got his money and Chris got his money and, you know, Aiden didn't get his money and Cam didn't get his money and Crowder felt that he wanted an extension, didn't want to wait. But it seemed for you that at least you were going to a situation that was rebuilding. You were able to drop 50 points in 94 in that one game. Yeah. And... You know, it seemed like this team was gelling under a new coach with Del Harris and that Lakers legacy documentary on Hulu, which is really great. It pointed to you, Eddie Jones, and Nick Van Exel as the trio that was going to revamp this franchise before Kobe and Shaq got there. Yeah, it, it, you know, that was the another thing, you know, once the trade happened, it's like, man, you know, they – you know, Lakers stink right now. Like, you know, I've been used to going to the playoffs every year when I was in Phoenix, and it's, it's a form of, of a habit, you know. And then the last two years, expecting to win a championship and then going to a rebuilding situation with a new coach, uh, Dell. I wasn't familiar with Dell. I knew the history of him in Milwaukee and Houston, but I uh, wasn't familiar with that. I knew Nick had a chip on his shoulder yeah. uh, because being dropped in the draft and, and going really low. Uh, Eddie was a definitely a talent. I grew up with Eldon Campbell, uh, really friendly, really friendly with Vlade. Uh, so I knew it's, it's, it was a possibility to turn things around. And I, you know, it's tough when you don't have, uh, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, it's funny that that documentary. I was supposed to film my episodes when I got sick with COVID. And oh, wow, okay. missed, missed my chance to, you know, get involved in that. But uh, the biggest thing that people really don't talk about is James Worthy. 
uh, he was still on that basketball team and uh, went to training camp with us. And especially for me, I, I knew it was going to be a delight uh, to have and be underneath his wing to learn a lot. Uh, but unfortunately, his mother passed during training camp and he decided to retire um, by the time we went from Hawaii to Los Angeles. And just when we got back to L.A., uh, the place to start uh, preseason games, he had announced his retirement. So that, you know, that was a kind of a downfall. And we were looking for leadership. Um, I wasn't, I, you know, obviously playing with the Suns, KJ and Tom were my first two you know, leaders of the team. And then Charles came along with KJ and then Marley emerged as a superstar. So they, those were the, the vocal leaders. And I, I wasn't really trained to be a vocal leader. So I just went off of pure, just effort. You know, if I did give 110%, you know, it's sometimes it's contagious. Nick was a, a quiet guy too, as long as Eddie, but one guy who, you know, really spoke up a lot, uh, not as a player, but as a coach was Dale. And sometimes, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame coach, you know, spoke a little bit too much, but it gave a young, a group of young guys the opportunity to learn this game and in a special way. And then with all those, you know, chips on your shoulders, you know, like I talked about before with Nick and low picks and this, that, and the other, we developed into a pretty cool basketball team, knocking out, I think, the number two seed uh, in Seattle that first round, uh, uh, which was unheard of. And I think we were second. I think David Robertson's Tim Duncan era was second and was first in history on the turnaround of wins and losses. And I think we were the second team on, on the turnaround for wins and losses yeah. uh, in NBA history. Sure. Patrick, you remember those years of said playing with the Lakers? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Great times. Yeah. Those were booing fun me. to watch. Patrick was probably booing me like, get that guy. Up. Why, did we <laughs> why did we trade that guy? I don't know why. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I tell you what, coming back to at the time, America West Arena. Oh man, I I had I probably averaged about thirty plus uh, playing against Phoenix. Man, it's just a great place to play. Yeah, uh, oh, always yeah. loved the fans, always loved the people, always kept my home here uh, in Arizona. And but just being so familiar uh, with the environment, I always came in that place and had a had a great game. Sure, sure. Real quick before we go, quick caveat about Devin Booker's comment after the Suns. One uh, at Minnesota last week. The struggling Timberwolves lost uh, to the Suns, and Booker made a comment about setting the tone aggressively for his team that he's been trying to uh, eschew the light-skinned uh, stigma <laughs> coming into the league. Now, have you ever heard of this intra-racial issue? Obviously, we're both you know Black. And Patrick, if you've heard of this, you can speak to this too, you know, as, as the token white guy among us three. But the, have you ever heard of this among players growing up in LA or any place that you played in the in the NBA about light-skinned guys not being tough? Like Kobe saying to Jordan Clarkson years ago when he was in his farewell season, you've been taking it to the whole like a light-skinned dude, take, you know, and he dunked on Alex Len in that game, Lakers and Suns. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I remember that, and I don't. I only stick my heard about light skinned guys is 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 more into the R and B or male world, you know. Saying like <laughs> light skinned guys are coming back, like popular, <laughs> you know. When the Wesley Snipes era stepped in, you know, all the light skinned guys went to the wayside. But that's about it. I never heard that on a basketball court, uh, so to speak, because uh, you know, 
obviously the little baby face assassin in Golden State is light skinned and, and yeah. you can't really put that on him. I don't know. I don't want. I don't know if you call Giannis. Giannis is borderline. You know, you and Giannis about the same skin complexion, so he, <laughs> he's a beast. You with the Giannis too, man. I mean, everybody. No, I'm just saying, man. You know, you got to. You know, it's it's it's. Uh, I've never heard that before, and even Devin. I mean. You know he's he's uh on the light sky on the light side, but he's a killer too, man. He's a he's a guy that gets out there and get get after it. And I don't think everybody looks at him and go, oh man, he's soft. Uh, you know, you know he walks in like a cholo. You know, after getting out his low rider every day, I don't think yeah. that you know shows any sign of softness right there. But uh, he might have been joking. He might not have been. But uh, you know, I, I I have never heard that in my time. I'll tell you that it's been something that I had to prove my blackness on the court in the streets of New York, playing pickup ball, AAU, even among my black peers in, you know, the 90s, the hip hop generation was full front and force. And you, the machismo of hip hop, you pretty much had to do that and not do, you couldn't do it in baseball because baseball is predominantly white sport. Basketball is a predominantly black sport. Football is a predominantly black sport. So those are the things that you have to, I had to be aware of and knowing of going forward and proving myself because being light-skinned, you're pegged as bougie, you pretty boy, you have, you know, you probably try to pass, right? Or you, you educate and you speak well and enunciate your words and don't have a slur in certain intonations, then you're probably trying to lean towards white rather than black if you're in and you have to prove your acculturation by how much rhythm you have not on the, on the disc <laughs> floor, but also on the basketball court so i hey, think hey, Clyde, Clyde the glide and 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 doug christie and and rick fox they rolling over their graves right now man individual those some tough individuals right there man hey i'm mad at rick fox man the dude is too perfect man <laughs> oh wait wait till you see the shack documentary Oh he's wow! His, oh, he's got his hair out, man, down to here. It's looking all, <laughs> all floor fly and everything. So you you gonna really you gonna really be mad at him now? Let me tell you, I'm, I'm mad at Rick Fox because he he's too perfect. He went to North Carolina. I'm a Carolina fan for life. I I, I gave him a pass. But he played with Larry Bird. He played with Shaq and Kobe. You know, he married Vanessa Williams. Got the perfect teeth from the Bahamas. Got the slick I, hair. You know. And 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 he's got the deep voice. He's been in movies, you know. He's on NBA TV. The dude's got a perfect life, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, this dude. I'm mad that he's so perfect. That's what <laughs> I can't stand about Rick Fox. You understand where I'm coming from? I get you, man. I understand. It's, I, I, I get you. <laughs> yeah. Even my wife loves him, man. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so that's another thing, Patrick. You know, you know Rick Fox. You understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. So. Anyway, I appreciate you guys coming on. This concludes episode 17 of the Inferno. And check us out next week. We appreciate y'all tuning in. Thanks again, y'all. Them Dana Scott signing off for Cedric Sabalas and Patrick Batilla, aka Mr. Orange, the Sun Super Fan. Peace, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E. 
AV on YouTube.